1: Have you ever done something unintentionally? Something unintentionally that afterwards you looked at it and you said, well, that was, uh, that was quite ingenious of me. Although in reality we know that it was not on purpose. It wasn't, uninte- it wasn't intentional. It was completely unintentional. Sometimes those things we do can turn out to be rather ingenious. We want to try to repeat it and somehow we can't. Other times, those things we do that are unintentional can be quite embarrassing. They can be annoying and to others they can be quite humorous. Several years ago, I was out on the golf course with my dad and my brother-in-law. Now, I enjoy playing golf—if you can call what I do playing—it's more like hacking at the ball. But I was out on the tee box one day; it had just started raining, just a little bit. And we thought, "Hey, it's not raining too bad. We can continue this." So, it's a par three; it's water all the way. And I'm standing there with my pitching wedge. I think, "Okay, I got this. No problem. Don't need to swing too hard." I I get lined up, line up the ball, take the swing. And when I look up, I realize it's not just the ball that's gone, it's also my golf club. At this point, my golf club is flying like this across the pond and actually goes further than the golf ball did and landed right in the middle of the pond. I stood there for just a moment, staring at the ripples in the water and wondering, what's my brother-in-law and dad doing behind me? I stand there for a minute, kind of not sure how to react. Is this something I should get upset at? Is this something I should be annoyed by? Is this something I should just laugh at? What did I do? That wasn't on purpose. I turn around and look at them, and they're both <laughs> waiting for my response. At that point, there's nothing you can do but start laughing. It was really one of those humorous situations, but I had another one a couple of years ago that was less than humorous. It was just completely embarrassing. I had an appointment in another state. So I, I decided I was going to uh, go, go drive. It was about three hours. My wife said, hey, I'll go with you. We'll spend the day together. So she took the day off work, and we drove three hours, pulled into the parking lot of the location we were supposed to be, and it was empty. I thought, this can't be right. Maybe, maybe they're on lunch break or something like that. My wife, the intelligent one, looks at me and says, are you sure the appointment was today? what husband is wrong, ever? I looked at my wife and said, yeah, I, I do. So I, I pulled out my phone and I started just scrolling through my calendar, pulled up the email, looked at it and went, yes. It's tomorrow. So we had a nice six-hour drive together in the car without kids for a while and really I was quite I can't tell you how many times... On the drive back, I apologize. Honey, I'm so sorry. I am so sorry. You took the day off of work to do this with me, and all we're doing is driving. She goes, well, I won't let it down anytime, time, but it is kind of funny. You know, sometimes, sometimes we do things completely unintentional. Sometimes they're humorous. Sometimes they're embarrassing. But the reality is this. It's not uncommon for things like that to transpire, and sometimes they're disappointing. Sometimes we're just straight-up wrong but there's something that can never happen unintentionally. And that's this. Living for God doesn't happen unintentionally. Living for God requires intentional daily decisions to follow Christ and His Word. Today as we look at 2 Chronicles chapter 12, we'll also be in 1 Chronicles chapter 14, we'll be in a couple other passages as well, we're going to see what intentional living requires. We're looking at the life of Rehoboam beginning in 2 Chronicles 12 he's the king of Israel at this point and he was anything as we look at his life he was anything but intentional in regard to his walk with the Lord. In fact back in chapter 10 of 2 Chronicles chapter 12 we find that Rehoboam's arrogant decision as king is what ultimately led to the, the to the division of Israel into the northern and southern kingdoms. Rather than being king over all of Israel, as was his grandfather David, his, his father Solomon, now, because of his arrogance, he's just king over the southern kingdom. You have your Bible, so open to 2 Chronicles. Begin with me in chapter 11. We'll look at chapter 11 to see briefly how his kingship began. And then how was kingship ended? Look in in, in 2 Chronicles 11, verse number 16. The Bible says, And after them, out of all the tribes of Israel. So here we are. Previous verses, the Levites were leaving the northern kingdom because Jeroboam was, was forcing them into idolatry. So now, Levites and many believers from Jerusalem are leaving from Israel, are leaving to the southern kingdom. So, after them, out of all the tribes of Israel, such as set their hearts to seek the Lord God of Israel, came to Jerusalem in the southern kingdom. Why? To sacrifice unto the Lord God of their fathers. So they strengthened the kingdom of Judah and made Rehoboam the son of Solomon strong for three years. For three years they walked in the way of David and Solomon. Look at chapter 12, verse number 1. And it came to pass, when Rehoboam had established the kingdom and had strengthened himself, he forsook the law of the Lord and all Israel with him. Now look at verse 14, chapter 12. And he did evil. Because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. When we look at verse 14 of 2 Chronicles chapter 12, we learn that Rehoboam's failure as the king of Israel was the direct result of his failure to live for God intentionally. And if you and I are going to live a life that brings honor and glory to the Lord, if if you want to say it, put it this way, if we're in a sense going to live the successful Christian life, we must live for God intentionally and intentionally living for god means that we number one we live with an intentional pursuit we live with an intentional pursuit look again second chronicles 12 verse 14 and he did evil why because he prepared not his heart to seek the lord you see an intentional pursuit requires that we purposefully seek the lord intentional pursuing of God intentionally living for God requires that we intentionally we purposefully seek the Lord there's a few words in this verse verse 14 I want to draw your attention to number one prepared he did evil because he prepared not to prepare means to direct or to have the goal to set the direction to intend to move towards a specific goal it was not his goal in life to seek the Lord says he prepared not his heart, his mind, his will, his emotions, his thoughts to seek, to do what? That's to try or to, to reach, to reach something that one desires. So summary of this verse is that Rehoboam did not intend. He did not make it his goal. It was not his will, nor was it his desire to live for God. Therefore, the summary of his life is that he did evil. Because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. I say it again, living for God doesn't happen unintentionally. It requires purposeful, intentional pursuit of God. So Rehoboam's failure as king of Israel was a direct result of his lack of pursuit. His lack of a desire to know and to do God's will in his life. What a sad summary statement of one's life. Intentional pursuit requires that we purposefully seek the Lord. And when we do, that intentional pursuit of God will always result in God's blessings. It will always result in God's blessings. Listen to what the prophet Jeremiah said in Lamentations 3 verse 25 regarding those that seek the Lord. The Bible says, the Lord is good unto them that wait for him to the soul that seeketh him. What did Jesus say himself as the result of purposely seeking God? In Matthew 6, he said, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. What are those things? Those necessities of life, the things that God knows that you need. He says, and all these things shall be added unto you. But the prerequisite is seeking first the kingdom of God. Back Second Chronicles chapter 11, look at verse number 14. "For the Levites left their suburbs, their possessions, they came to Judah, Jerusalem, for Jeroboam and his sons had cast them off, executing the Lord's, uh, executing the priests' office in the Lord. Down verse 16 again. And after them out of all the tribes of Israel, such as set their hearts to seek the Lord God of Israel, came to Jerusalem, and then into verse 17, what was the result? For three years they walked in the way of David and Solomon. For the first three years of the reign of Rehoboam, it appears that both he and the children of Israel pursued God. They purposefully sought after God. In fact, it's recorded in these verses, again, that the northern kingdom, those who were in the northern kingdom, desired to serve God, were leaving. Because their whole purpose, their whole goal was to seek God, intentionally pursue Him. What an example for us. What an example for us. They did not, uh, excuse me, they desired not just to worship God, but they desired to worship God in the way in which God had commanded them. From these verses, we learn that Rehoboam didn't have the excuse that that he didn't know what to do, or he didn't know how to worship God, or or he didn't know how to seek the Lord. It, It appears that at least in the first three years of his life, he knew exactly what he was supposed to do. It appears that he did seek the Lord. Because it says that they walked in the way of David and Solomon, their fathers. So what happened to Rehoboam? What happened to, to, to Judah during those first three years that resulted in them forsaking the law of the Lord and doing evil? What happened? What transpired? Let me suggest this this morning. I suggest that their spiritual walk, their intentional pursuit of God, Went on autopilot. 2 Chronicles eleven seventeen 17 tells us they were, that life was going well. We, they didn't really have any problems. They had some peace and, and they had all that they needed. All of their, their material needs were met. They had great possession. Life was going well. Sometimes when life is going along just fine, we have the tendency to coast through life. We have the tendency to let off the controls and go with the flow, and we're no longer intentionally pursuing after God. We're no longer intentionally seeking God and His will for our life. Rehoboam quit intentionally pursuing God, and as a result, his attention was taken off God and placed onto self. Listen, if we're going to live for God, we must intentionally pursue Him. Secondly, we must also live with an intentional obedience. We must live with intentional obedience. Look again in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 11, verse 18. And Rehoboam took him, Mahaleth, the daughter of Jeremoth, the son of David to wife, and Abahael, the daughter of Eliab, the son of Jesse. Look in verse number 20. And after her, he took Maakah, the daughter of Absalom. Look in verse 21. And, and Rehoboam loved Makkah, the daughter of Absalom, but of all his wives and his concubines, for he took 18 wives, threescore concubines, and begat 28 sons and threescore daughters. Look at the end of verse number 23. And he desired many wives. You see the change that took place. There, there was no longer an intentional pursuit of God. Now, now Rehoboam's desire was wives, accumulating more wives. What happened? Rehoboam followed in the footsteps of his his father Solomon and he too was guilty of doing that which God had commanded the kings of Israel not to do. This accumulation of wives was was in direct contradiction, direct disobedience to the commands that God had given Israel. In Deuteronomy 17, the scripture says in verse number 17, speaking of the kings, he said, neither shall he multiply wives to himself. Why? That his heart turn not away. That his heart turned not away. Exactly what God said would transpire if a king were to multiply unto himself wives is exactly what transpired in the life of Rehoboam. There was no longer a desire to obey God. It was a desire to fulfill the lust of the flesh. It was a desire to do what he wanted to do. It was his desire, not what God had for him. Verse 16 says that at one point Rehoboam sought the Lord and then in verse 21 of chapter 11, it says that Rehoboam multiplied unto himself wives. Verse 23 says that he desired many wives, means he sought after a multitude of wives. And then in verse 14 of Second Chronicles chapter 12, the scripture says that he did not desire to seek the Lord. Rehoboam's desires had shifted. Shifted from desiring the Lord to desiring women, and his heart was drawn away from the Lord. Remember this, living for God doesn't happen unintentionally. It requires intentional obedience. God had already given Israel the recipe for success in Deuteronomy chapter 6 when he laid out the necessity for obedience to the law of God. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1, the scripture says, Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you. Why? That ye might do them in the land whither ye go to possess it. Why? That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God, to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's sons, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. You see the blessing that comes along with obedience? Verse 3, hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee. And that ye may increase mightily as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee and the land that floweth with milk and honey. He said, Israel, you're going to go into the land that I have promised you. That's where Israel is at this time. Obey me and you will see God's blessing. Disobey and you will not. Listen, we cannot live for God unintentionally. We cannot live for him without intentionally choosing to obey God. We must intentionally pursue God. We must intentionally obey God. And we must live with an intentional humility. We must live with an intentional humility. Again, in 2 Chronicles chapter 11, look at verse 17. So they strengthened the kingdom of Judah and made Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, strong three years. Rehoboam was now strong. He was recognized as a great king. The southern kingdom was was successful, much better off than the northern kingdom was at this time. But then look at verse number 23. And he dealt wisely and dispersed all, all of his children throughout all the countries of Judah and Benjamin, every fence city, and he gave them victual and abundance. They had everything they needed. So what happened? He was very successful He dealt wisely. Things were going pretty good. But then when we transition to chapter 12 and verse number 1, what does Scripture say? And it came to pass when Rehoboam established the kingdom and had strengthened who? Himself. What transpired? He forsook the law of the Lord and all Israel with him. He led Israel away with him. It seems that Rehoboam sat back, looked at Judah, looked at himself and said, I've got it made. Look, look what I have done. The cities are in great condition. They're well fortified. They're well supplied. The kingdom's doing great. I've become strong. Look what I have accomplished in this divided kingdom. Oh, definitely better than Jeroboam in the north. So Rehoboam begins to think quite highly of himself. Felt secure in himself rather than in God. His humility and his reliance on God were gone. He had become prideful and began to think, I am somebody. But we're reminded in Scripture what God does to the prideful. Where he says in Proverbs 29, 23, a man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. Luke 14:11, "For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted." James chapter four, verse number six, "But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, "God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble." Just a few chapters earlier in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse number 14, with, with, with God speaking to Solomon, Rehoboam's father, what did he say? He said, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will hear their land. You see what happened to Rehoboam. He got lifted up in his own pride. He failed to humble himself. He got caught up with self and then caught up in the sins of the world. And what God did next was exactly what he said he would do. He humbled Rehoboam. In the following verses of chapter 12, we find that God sent Shishak. He was the pharaoh of Egypt to invade the land of Judah. All of a sudden, all of these cities that were well fortified and and well supplied were now overrun by Shishak and now Jerusalem itself is under siege. The once prideful king of Judah, the one who, who had decided, I'm going to forsake the law of the Lord and live for self, seek my desires. They're now huddled together in Jerusalem asking themselves, how did this happen? How did we get to this point? We had so much. We were so well off. Then in chapter 12, verse 5, Shemaiah, the prophet of God, spoke to Rehoboam in chapter 12, verse 5 and said, let saith the Lord at the end of the verse. Thus saith the Lord, you have forsaken me. And therefore have I also left you in the hand of Shishak. See, when we fail to humble ourselves, God will humble us. Look in verse 6 of chapter 12. Whereupon the princes of Israel and the king humbled themselves. God sent someone to judge says they humbled themselves, and they said, "The Lord is righteous." Look at verse 12. And when he humbled himself, the wrath of the Lord turned from him, that he would not destroy him altogether. And also in Judah, things went well. Rehoboam accepted the judgment of the Lord and humbled himself. He said, I see the hand of judgment upon my life for what I have done. And and they humbled themselves. And we find in verse 13, though, that this humility was only temporary. It stayed the wrath of God on Judah for a time. Listen, we must be intentional about our humility before God. Apart from God, we are nothing. Without God, we have nothing. Because of God, we have everything. Let's not allow our hearts and minds to get to the point that we think that we are something special. That we are someone special. That we are above needing to to obey God. That we are above needing to humble ourselves. That we are above needing to, to intentionally pursue God. May we be humble before Him. May we not be lifted up with our pride. And let us have that intentional humility before God if we are going to live for God, we must intentionally pursue Him. We must intentionally obey Him. We must be intentional in our humility before Him. And lastly, number four, we must be intentional in separation. There must, some, there must be some intentional separation. The last half of Second Chronicles chapter 12, verse one, tells us what Rehoboam did. It says, He forsook, the law of the Lord, and all Israel with him. Turn with me over to the book of 1 Kings real quick. 1 Kings, chapter number 14. 1 Kings chapter 14, we find more specifically how Rehoboam and Judah had forsaken the law of the Lord. What exactly was it that that is spoken of here in in, in 2 Chronicles? It says they forsook the law of the Lord. What exactly was it that they were doing? You're in 1 Kings chapter 14. Look at verse number 21. And Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, reigned in Judah. Rehoboam was 41 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem. The city which the Lord did choose out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. And his mother's name was Naamah and Ammonitus. And Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord. And they provoked him to jealousy with their sins which they had committed above all that their fathers had done. Why? was it that they did? Verse 23. For they also built them, them high places and images and groves on every high hill and under every green tree. And there were also sodomites in the land. And they did according to all the abominations of the nations which the Lord cast out from before the children of Israel. So verse 21 tells us a little bit about his mom. His mom was an Ammonite. Ammonites were worshippers of the god Molech. And one of the ways in which the god Molech was worshipped was through child sacrifice. This is what was taking place in Israel, and taking place rather in Judah, the southern kingdom at this time. Verse 23 says that Rehoboam was actively building images and groves and, and places of worship for the gods of the Canaanites, which would include Molech and Chemosh and Ashtaroth. And the worship of these gods was both brutal and perverse. The sacred pillars are talked about building these images and stones and things. These, 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 these sacred images of stone, these pillars of stone and, and ashtore poles were aids in the licentious worship of the male and female gods. We're talk, the Bible speaks about the groves. What were they? They were shrines. They were shrines in which male prostitutes referred to as sodomites would practice their, their worship, their pagan form of worship. Rehoboam knew that that this activity which he was, was promoting, he was enabling, he was growing within the southern kingdom, he knew that this was forsaking the law of God. He wasn't ignorant to what the word of God said. But rather than separating from the ways of the world and the worship of the world, what did Rehoboam do? He attempted to combine the worship of the world and the ways of the world with the worship of God. Like Jeroboam in the north, Rehoboam attempted to keep up a form of biblical worship, but used the world's methods and the world's ideology. Understand, this will never work. We as believers are called to intentional separation from the world. The practices that were taking place as a form of worship are are taking place in our country. They're taking place amongst Christianity today, not to the worship of the god Molech or Ashtaroth, but often to the worship of the god of self. And what we are being called to is intentional separation. The world's methods, the world's influence, the world's ideology must be removed from our worship, it must be removed from our everyday lives. We must have an intentional separation from the world let's quickly look at what transpires in one's life when that intentional separation takes place we're going to look at the life of actually Rehoboam's son here in 1st Kings 14 look over in chapter 15 verse number 11 1st Kings 15 verse 11 look at what scripture says and Asa did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord, as did David his father. What was it that he did that was so right? Verse 12, he took away the sodomites out of the land. He removed all the idols that his fathers had made. And also, Ma'akah, his mother, the Ammonitess, Even her he removed from being queen. Why? Because she had made an idol in a grove, and Asa destroyed her idol and burnt it by the brook Kidron, and the high places, but the high places were not removed. Nevertheless, Asa's heart was perfect with the Lord all his days. What transpired? Asa was intentional in his separation from the worship of the world from the influences of the world, from the ideology of the world, going so far as to even remove his own mother as queen. And the testimony of Asa was that he did right in the eyes of the Lord and that his heart was perfect before the Lord all his days. Intentional separation is essential in the life of a believer. Remember, living for God doesn't happen Unintentionally. You're not just going to wake up all of a sudden one day and, hey, I'm living for God. It's not going to happen unintentionally. It's not going to happen by accident. It requires intentional daily decisions to follow God and His Word. If we're going to live a life that brings honor and glory to the Lord, a life in which our testimony would be that we did right in the eyes of the Lord, It's going to require an intentional pursuit of him. Intentionally seeking after the things of God. It's going to require intentional obedience. Choosing daily to obey God. It's going to require intentional humility where we submit ourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. It's going to require an intentional separation. Let's not live the life of Rehoboam but intentionally choose to live for God. It's my prayer for myself, it's my prayer for each one of us here today, that when our life is done and over, people will look back at our lives and be able to say, he did right in the eyes of the Lord because he prepared his heart to seek the Lord. Intentional living is essential for every believer. So let me ask you this question. Are you intentionally living for God today.
0: You've been listening to a message from Pensacola Christian College Chapel. You're welcome to pass this sermon along to others. Please don't charge for it or alter it without written permission from Pensacola Christian College. For additional information about PCC, visit us online at pcci.edu. Pensacola Christian College, empowering Christian leaders to influence the world for Christ.